We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So we've been journeying through... Actually, let me just pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And as we open it up, would you give us eyes to see things that you want us to see in your word? And may it be more than just information or knowledge. May we be led into your will. May we see you in what you're communicating through the scripture. And may we see your body, the body of Christ, and discern the body and love those around us well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just first start by asking, can you remember a time when you got into a heated discussion with another Christian, theological discussion, Some, for some of us, we can remember many times, maybe in the, maybe even this past week. But when was the last time, or, or a time that you got in a heated discussion, theological discussion? We've all, we've all, if we've been a Christian for any amount of time, we've all had those discussions. It, it was, it, it occurred with the disciples. I love the this chosen series and the scene where the disciples are having a theological discussion and they're debating and, and Jesus just shows up after a long hard day of just healing people and serving people and he just goes straight to, straight to sleep and they're just all convicted. Because they're like they're they're debating about these theological issues, and and Jesus had just been loving people and serving people, and so I I think you know there's been a number of times for me when I have been in theological discussions. I think it's just a part of our growth as Christians. We need that. We need to have good, robust theological discussions about God. That's how we learn. We process. I mean, I love. That's one of the things I love about school. Uh, and going to school and be, being able to ask questions, being able to learn, being able to dialogue and being able to give some pushback when we disagree uh, and, and try to get some clarity for when we don't understand clearly. And uh, as I was thinking about this passage here uh, and thinking about my experience uh, as, a, as a Christian, I was reminded of early on in my walk with the Lord, uh, me and another buddy used to go out to Deep Ellum and we used to go to Lower Greenville on the weekends um, and that wasn't that wasn't to drink and to party because that's where the that's where the partying was going on. It was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because people were coming out of bars and going into bars, and they were we we saw there was a need for people to hear about Jesus and experience the love of Jesus. And I, w- I was reminded of a, a particular conversation I had with uh, somebody who was uh, uh, guarding the door. He was a bouncer, and I got in a pretty intense conversation with this guy. It was it got a little heated and it didn't seem to be going anywhere at all. And so uh, as me and my friend were walking away from that not very satisfied by our evangelistic endeavors, um I said, "Man, that guy sure was prideful, wasn't he?" And my friend, being a loving, faithful friend, said, "You know, you're not Mr. Humble yourself." <laughs> and man, I sure did in that moment and there's been more than more moments than that than just one in my life. But I sure did need to hear that from my friend. Proverbs tells us that by pride comes contention, contentiousness. Pride leads to that. Pride divides. Pride destroys. And what we're going to see in the passage today that we're looking at is the Apostle Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
Now, there's been many times when the Holy Spirit, as I've been in these conversations, the Holy Spirit has reminded me of that reality, not just with non-Christians, but with other Christians. Many times the Spirit has reminded me as things start to rise up within me and rise up within somebody else and we disagree about something, the Spirit has reminded me of this powerful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And as we've already discussed within the, the, the Christian church, this church was divided on many issues. There was a lot of issues, a lot of problems. There was immorality. There was, um, uh, there was boasting about which teachers they liked and listened to. And here what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is there are different convictions around secondary issues. And Paul teaches the church how to love one another across those differences. Amen? So let's go ahead and read it together. There's 13 verses in here, and the title of this sermon is Building Community in Love. Building Community in Love. For you married couples who missed the message last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. I think you'll enjoy it. And all the married couples said, who heard it? Amen. We talked about the fun stuff of marriage last week. So this week we're going to talk about building community in love with one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is uh, no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, As indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. And the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, can y'all say amen to that? Okay, that's kind of a hard one, especially for you meat eaters, us meat eaters who love our steak. 
Amen. This is the word of the Lord. God calls his people. Here's our big idea. God calls his people to use their knowledge and freedom to lovingly serve and build up others in their community and avoid creating a stumbling block for others. God calls his people to use their knowledge and freedom love freedom to lovingly serve and build up others in their community and to avoid creating a stumbling block for others. Now let me just give a little bit of context here because many of these Corinthian Christians were coming out of paganism. They were coming out of of a lifestyle that worshiped these other false gods. Okay? And so for many of them, so and what was happening with this meat, the the, the majority of meat that was offered in uh, the, the meat markets had been offered to these pagan deities, to these idols, to these false gods. Okay? And, and so just meat in general, one, now a, a lot of the Corinthians, you know, who weren't wealthy didn't have access to meat except for festivals when it was freely given out after it had been offered to idols. And of course, the more wealthy people were able to enjoy the luxury of, of eating more meat. Um, but this, this was an issue. Remember, you got Jewish, you got Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. That's been an issue from the beginning of the church. Uh, eating, to eat kosher or to not eat kosher, right? Now, I'm all for eating healthy, but I enjoy some bacon on my burger, all right? And douse it with a bunch of sauce and a bunch of avocado, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, and, and so from, from the beginning of, of the church, of church history, this issue of food has been a challenge for the different cultural backgrounds coming together. I love that God's church is diverse. I love it. God, God calls his people from every tribe and every tongue. He calls the people who are diverse. And so there's different people groups who have these different flavors and types of foods that they, that they cook and emphasize, right? And I love experiencing the diversity of different kinds of foods. But it's a point of tension and a point of division amongst many, including those within the church. And one of the particular issues was this this issue of this food that was offered to idols. Okay, Uh, When I visited India uh, on on two mission trips there, I noticed all the shrines and, and all the food offerings that were given up to these these idols that were around the st- everywhere, like there were people had them on their dashboards, even next to um, even next to a Jesus, like a crucifix with Jesus on it, and then you know Krishna and different idol, you know, other false gods with them, and they just they just kind of throw it in with the rest of their worship. Like let's just worship all the gods. We're going to make sure and have all the bases covered, um, so to speak. Now, I know for us today, as we read 1 Corinthians 8, we hear about this issue. We don't really, when we go to Walmart to, to pick up our beef, you know, we're not, or Costco to, to pick up our steak. You know, we're not thinking, oh, was this offered to idols or, or like, should I eat this or should I not? I, I don't know if I should. Most of the time, we're not doing that, right? We don't have that issue today. But there are some principles that the Apostle Paul gives for how Christians are to use their liberty within the community and to love and serve one another and not cause uh, there to be a stumbling block for one another. So, first of all, first point is simply this, that love is to be priority in relationships over winning 
arguments. Love is to be priority in our relationships over winning arguments. Now, who loves a good debate? Who loves to be persuasive and, and use your logic to, to win a debate and convince somebody that they are wrong and that you are right? It feels so good to be right. But man, it feels really bad to be right when you just did somebody wrong in the way that you got your message across. The attitude that you conveyed it, the unkindness, the inconsideration, you talked their ear off and you, you got in their face and you got, you raised your voice and you, and you used uh, intimidating body language to communicate your point. Right? We can, we can be right in a debate, in an argument, and be totally wrong in how we convey that. And Christians are called to be people of the truth, people who have wisdom, people who have knowledge and understanding. And the scripture is the basis for that. But we're not to have truth without love. It's been said that truth without love is brutality. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy, okay? And the Bible calls us to be people of both, people of the truth who know and believe the truth. This is what disciples do. They're students of the word. Jesus said, "You, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, Disciples are students who have committed their lives. Disciples of Jesus have committed their lives to learn and follow and obey the truth. But truth isn't the only thing that should mark our lives. Knowledge isn't the only thing that should mark our lives. Love must mark our lives. In that same book, John chapter 13, verse 34, 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another... As I have loved you, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus, who embodied truth, who he won every argument that I read in the Gospels. Uh, he outsmarted the smartest of them all. And I just love watching these, these know-it-alls come to Jesus and try to trap him. And he just stumps them every time. He was marked by truth. He embodied the truth, but also he embodied love and displayed love and grace. He was full of grace and truth, John says. We see that in the person of Christ. And we see him welcoming in the outcast, people that others did not like, people who were seen as sinful and were sinful, and he would welcome them in and influence them and impact them and change their lives. In all this, Jesus didn't compromise biblical standards of righteousness. And he didn't compromise the truth to reach people in love. He remained faithful. And he stood his ground. And he died for people. But he also died for standing for what's right and what's true. And so love is to be priority in the relationships over winning arguments. Love builds up, but knowledge puffs up. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, he says this, commenting on these verses. He says, what do I intend to do with my knowledge about God once I have it? For the fact that we have to face is this. If we pursue theological knowledge for its own sake... 
It is bound to go bad on us. It will make us proud and conceited. The very greatness of the subject matter will intoxicate us. And we shall be, and we shall come to think of ourselves as a cut above other Christians because of our interest in it and grasp of it. And we shall look down on those whose theological ideas seem to us crude and inadequate and dismiss them as poor specimens. He goes on and he says to be preoccupied with getting theological knowledge as an end in itself to approach Bible study with no higher motive than a desire to know all the answers is a is the direct route to a state of self-satisfied self-deception. And these are heavy convicting words that no doubt would have cut and challenged the Pharisees of the first century. And I think challenge and convict those who are Pharisees of our day. And we all have a tendency to move in that direction. The longer I've been a Christian, I, I feel more my tendency to become like those Pharisees that I don't want to be like. I want to be like Jesus. Right? And so we have to guard against just being the Bible answer man, the know-it-all. And we got to examine our motives. Why, why are we trying to learn the Bible? What's our, what's, what's our motive behind learning the answers? There, there, there's a reality that in knowledge, there is a sense of power, you know, like you, when you know some things that can kind of free you up from being afraid of things you shouldn't be afraid of can free you up to, to, to make some good decisions. But what do we do with the knowledge that we have? Does it make us proud? And do we look down upon others? Or do we use that knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding to build up and serve others and to patiently walk with others? Now, I have to remind myself that a lot of things that I'm convinced of in Scripture didn't just come to me overnight. I had to wrestle and pray and study and ask questions and dialogue. And there's many things that God has brought me on, on a process, on a journey to arrive at with where I stand theologically. And so I have to remember that when I'm walking with other young Christians, that they have a journey too. They have experiences. They have a past. They have a gifting and, and a worldview in which they view the world based on their, their upbringing and, and environment we're all affected with, with how we see the world by what we've been through, our experiences and the way God has wired us and gifted us. And so we must patiently walk with one another. G.I. Packers, he says that there can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge, but it is equally true that there can be no spiritual health with it. If it is sought for the wrong purpose and valued for the wrong standard. We've entitled this series Church Health Matters. We're focused on church health. And to be a healthy church, we do need to have sound doctrine, healthy, biblical, true doctrine. But we also need to have love because that's the aim of sound doctrine, right? That's what Paul told Timothy is love from a pure heart. That's where it should move us to. Our theology should lead us to doxology, to praise and to worship the God that we see in the scripture. And it should also lead us to love and to serve and bless those that God has placed us around. And so love is to be priority over winning arguments. And we got to pick our battles wisely. There are certain things that are just not worth getting in an argument and a debate over, especially with somebody who doesn't seem interested in, in really learning the truth or knowing the truth. 
if somebody seems more interested in just winning an argument, is it really worth it to debate them? Proverbs gives us some wisdom. One of the things I do in evangelism from time to time is when I find myself in that position, in that place, I'll ask a question. I'll say, if what you believe to be true were not true, if it was a lie, would you want to know it? It's a question I'll ask. If you believed a lie, if what you think is true about God and the world and the Bible is not true, would you want to know it? And if they say no, I'm good with believing the lie. Then I'll move on. I'll move on. Last night, I had a wonderful opportunity. I was at the park. I like to, to pray for God to give me divine appointments. And I was taking a walk around the park. And there was a gentleman who was sitting at the park with a King James Bible on, his, on, the, uh, on the table. And he just looked like he had the weight of the world on him. And I just went up and sat down and just we started having a great conversation about God. And he had questions. He had questions and it was really neat. And he, he actually, it sounds like he's real close to joining this church and he's not really sure about it. And he's kind of, uh, he, he's wrestling with whether he should or not. And, and, and when I told him I was a pastor, his face just lit up, you know, and smiled. And, and I was able to walk him through certain verses in the gospel of John that talk about Jesus and who Jesus is. And, and, uh, and it was so encouraging, just this really, really sweet time. And, Went to shake his hand at the end, and he got up. He's like, no, give me a hug. And it was just so refreshing to me to find somebody who is searching for truth. And he had a Bible that he was trying to do that with, you know. And I just thought, God, what a gift. Like, I asked, like, give me divine appointments. And, like, you, like, set me up with a perfect opportunity to just love and share the, the gospel with somebody and walk this young college student through truth about god so love love builds up and knowledge puffs up we don't want the world to perceive us as proud know-it-alls who are puffed up the idea of being puffed up we talked about this in first corinthians 4 is to be inflated like a balloon with air is inflated the ego is inflated with knowledge there's a tendency when we learn some things to feel a little good about ourselves, a tendency to feel superior about those who don't know, those poor specimens that don't know these things about God. But love in contrast, and this is an interesting contrast that Paul makes between love and knowledge. The the Corinthians valued knowledge. They valued wisdom. They valued philosophy, philosophy and, 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 and so Paul challenges them. And we looked at this in first Corinthians chapter one, and he said, Christ, Christ is the, the wisdom of God and the power of God. And he points to Jesus as being the source of knowledge and wisdom and power and everything that we're looking for. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. Love built instead of instead of showing off with what we know. I love a good Bible trivia game. I have to guard my heart when when I do Bible trivia with folks because uh, I love I love having the answers. It's fun, winning Bible trivia. Come on, guys, let's play Bible trivia. Um, me versus y'all. No, no, just kidding. We 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 all need a good dose of of humility and, and be humbled by what we don't know. I think the, 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 more, the more wise we are and understanding that we are, the more we realize that we're, we're in a process of learning. 
We're coming to know. We're, we're learning and we, we don't have all the answers. We haven't got it, all, all the mysteries of this world figured out. But there's certain truths about God and about the scripture that Christians should know and be convinced of and unite around rather than letting secondary issues divide them. And so love builds up. And one of those main issues that Paul hits on in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, one is the gospel, the message of the cross, the resurrection. He gives a whole chapter on it, 1 Corinthians 15. This is to be central, church. Don't get off from the message of the gospel. And then he also gives a whole chapter on love. And in, in, in between, sandwiched in between a chapter, two chapters on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are important too. But spiritual gifts are to be used in love. Knowledge is to be used in love to build up, not to show off, but to serve, to help, to bless. Love is the evidence of a genuine relationship with God. Love is the evidence of a genuine relationship with God. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Okay? First John says it the other way around. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. All right? Now, I can't help but just point out... As we're talking about this, that our vision statement here at City Church is to know Jesus, to love people, and impact your world. It's not enough for us to just know about him. And we can have all the facts straight. And James argues that so can demons. Even demons believe in God and tremble, right? As he's arguing that faith without works is dead. First John argues that the same with love, that love leads to action, to, to sacrifice, to service. And love is evidence that there is a genuine relationship with God. This is something I was talking about with this young man as he's wrestling with which church to go to. And he, he was asking questions yesterday about all the different denominations. And, and one of the things that I pointed to is, of course, you want to find a church that teaches the Bible all right, but you also want to find a church that that has that's marked by love. Jesus said, "You will know them by their fruit." Right, and and your love for one another is like the badge of discipleship that Jesus said, "By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." And so I encourage I encourage them in that. I encouraged him, uh, and I shared my own testimony, how God supernaturally changed my heart, how I was a, a teenager full of anger and rage, and I used to mad dog people. I'd give them mean looks like I was ready to fight somebody. And now, like, I walk up with a big smile on my face, like ready to talk to somebody, a stranger, not mad dog them, not, not intimidate them, but engage them. With an open hand, an open heart to talk about Jesus. And that's a miracle. I said, you know, no, no man could change another person's heart. No human being can do that. Now you can lock people up. You can create laws and try to restrain evil and try to tamper it from, from spreading more and more. 
But you can't change the human heart. Only God can supernaturally change the human heart. And that's what he does when we become Christians. We become new creations in Christ Jesus. And he puts this love in our heart. Now, we, we also know that it's not, it's, not, it's not always automatic that we walk in that. Love takes some intentionality, doesn't it? We have to cultivate loving people. We got to cultivate knowing God, or develop, grow in our relationship with seeing him appropriately and accurately and receive his love ongoing and allow it to flow through us. Now let's, let's go on to talk a little bit about knowledge here. Theological knowledge is important and essential for freedom. Okay? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul agrees with the Corinthians, the stronger Christians who are more advanced in their knowledge. He agrees and he, and he, and he says this. He says, he says, therefore, as to eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and there is, there is no God but one. For although there may be may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom all things exist. This is a powerful, orthodox, solid, biblical statement that is true. And and perhaps this was what those who are stronger were convinced of, and so they're free to eat the meat that had been offered to idols. But the weaker brother or sister, whose conscience is more sensitive to this issue, is not freed up. And what Paul goes on to teach us in, in, in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans 14 and 15, is that the stronger brother and sister, those who are have more liberty when it comes to these secondary issues, liberty of conscience, they're not to impose their liberty upon weaker brothers and sisters. They're to respect their convictions about these secondary issues. Okay? One of the things we like to say around here, and we mention it in the Connect class, is that this is attributed to St. Augustine, but I'm not, I don't think it originated with him, but it's, a, it's unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and in all things, charity. Okay? Unity in the essentials. We unite around truths like this about God. There's one God and Father, the Creator. Right? There's one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer, through whom uh, all things were cre- created. And so we unite around truths like that. Truths about the gospel that were, were saved by grace through faith. Right, but there's secondary issues. There's sec- there's a number of secondary issues that we that Christians debate on. Now, let's just think about the past two years, okay? In 2020, there was there's political debate you know, to to vote Republican or to, to vote Democratic. There were the vaccination debates to get vaxxed or not to get vaxxed. There was mask wearing debates to wear a mask in public or or not to wear masks. And this, these were some of the, the toughest conversations and the most divisive in the church in 2020, 2021. Many folks left churches and we wrestled through that and we had different ones right here who have different convictions on these issues. 
and we tried to focus on the importance of centering on Jesus and centering on being people who love one another and respect one another's differences. And we can still have the conversations as well. And so there's a list of, let me, let me just read a, a number of these, these things here. Um, I shared this a couple years ago. I preached on the conscience. How to treat Sundays. Christians see differently on this. Listening to secular music or not. Or only Christian music. Watching mixed martial arts for entertainment. What characterizes modest dress? Is it okay for women to wear pants? At what, what level is it immodest? Right? Like, what's the standard? Like, fair trade coffee or not? Focus on global warming issues or not? Watching particular movies or TV shows, playing video games, reading the Harry Potter series or not. Ladies wearing makeup, following a strict schedule for your children, bedtime, seven o'clock or 10 o'clock. Homeopathic medicine versus uh, antibiotics, public school versus private school, eating unhealthy fast food or eating healthy a church with multiple services and multiple sites. Mega church versus small church. Christian hip hop or heavy metal. Should you listen to it or not? Body piercings. Tattoos. Smoking cigars. Drinking alcohol in moderation. Going in the debt. Racking up credit card debt or not. Being overweight or, or slim. Dating versus courtship or when when married couples should start having kids and then how many kids should they have? Is one or two okay or do we need to have seven or eight or twelve? I used to tell my wife I wanted twelve. She was not going for that. We settled on four for right now. She's not in here. She, yeah. <laughs> The method and the frequency of family worship, perpetuating the Santa Claus myth. Worship music styles, hymns only or Bethel, Hillsong, modern worship. Should we sing those or not? Here, here's a big one right now. Guns, Christians with guns. Should we have them or not? Or assault rifles. Should we have them or not? These are, these are debates that are happening in real time. And we don't struggle with uh, food offered to idols. These are some of the issues that we got to wrestle through with. And we need to have healthy, good conversations. And we need to make sure that we're loving one another through these conversations. And that we're not divisive, divisive as we're addressing these issues. Now, look, look at what Paul says. Here's a, here's a good theological statement here as well. First Corinthians eight. He says, food will not commend us to God for we are no worse off if we do not eat and any better off if we do. So enjoy that bacon on your cheeseburger. All right. Amen. <laughs> theological knowledge is important and essential for freedom. But we must, we must be careful with how we use it. And Paul, I love how Paul is so precise. He's pastorally and precisely addressing this issue 
that's creating tension and division within the church. I mean, I'm just, I'm so inspired by this. I, I want more of this leadership in my own life to lead in this way. Because it grieves me, and I know it grieves the heart of God when his children <laughs> get attitudes with one another and pick up their toys and they go somewhere else because they disagree with a brother or sister, right? It grieves the heart of God when we, when we do this, uh, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in, in harmony or unity, uh, Psalm 133. Right, And so this is what Paul's trying to do within this church. He's trying to lead them into uniting around the core truths of the gospel. Loving one another. And giving some space on these secondary issues that shouldn't, that aren't the basis of what unites us. And they shouldn't be the basis of what divide us as Christians. Our common faith in Jesus is what unites us. Let's go a little further down. Love considers others and limits rights and freedoms to serve them. Look at what he says here, in, starting in verse 9. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? And if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols... And so by, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. This is a strong statement here. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Wow, Paul's committed. And we look in chapter 9 and we see Paul giving up his rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of advancing the mission of God. Giving up his rights to collect an offering and receive financial support. Uh, giving up his, he mentions giving up his right to take a wife like the rest of the apostles. Like, and, and he, and these are, these are things where he, he could have, he could have did that. But but for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of serving those within the body, he didn't want to, to, to be a stumbling block or be hindered. So love considers others and limits rights and freedoms in order to serve them. Now this has to be balanced out with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I didn't put this here in my notes. We may look at it here in a moment. Now let's, let's first, before we, before we do that, let's look at um, this idea of conscience and violating the conscience. Okay. So this is a good study. I highly recommend it. If you haven't studied the conscience and what it is and how it works, he says, he says their conscience being weak is defiled. And then he says, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Right. Okay. So here's the, here's a basic idea of conscience. Like just think of the, the two English words, con with and, and science knowledge with knowledge. All right. There's this inner knowledge that we have. Um, it's, I've heard it described as, as a smoke alarm. When there's, a, when there's a, a fire in the kitchen and the smoke's going up, the smoke alarm goes off. Woo, woo, woo. And it's there, it's there for, to protect us, to warn us there's danger. But what, what do we tend to do when, uh, when we want it to stop going off? 
take that battery out of it. Just get the battery out, stop it. Make it hopefully you put the battery back in, right? Uh, <clears throat> and so conscience is important. God's why, as human beings made in the image of God, God's given us the capacity to have this inner knowledge and to this self-awareness and this con we, I mean, we're able to think about, we're, we're able to think about our own thoughts. Okay. Think about that. We're able to think about our own thoughts. We have the ability to think about our own thoughts. So what is the conscience? The conscience is, if you look it up, just the English definition, an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. There's a book by J.D. Crowley and Andrew Nassali. Um, Nassali uh, it's, it's about the conscience, and it's very helpful. I read it and have used it um, to help kind of grasp um, this understanding of conscience. Um, it's mentioned a number of times in the New Testament, but they define it as this. The conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. Of what you believe is right and wrong. So, he, so here's the implication in that. Sometimes your conscience can be wrong. Sometimes your conscience can miss it. Now, generally speaking, God's wired us with a conscience that bears witness to the Ten Commandments. Romans 2, right? So lying, stealing, adultery, murder, and so on. And so we feel guilty when we engage in those activities, even if we don't know the Bible, right? Because God's wired us like that. Uh, but there's other factors that play into the shaping of our conscience, the calibrating of our conscience, our culture. There's certain things that, that you do that we would say that certainly aren't sinful in other cultures that are very wrong and sinful in other cultures. Like, like I've, one of them I heard about, like stepping over, if somebody has their legs up, like to step over their legs uh, is very offensive and wrong. Or uh, one country shaking with the right hand. Which country is that? Nigeria. Okay, you don't shake with the right. Do you shake with the left or what do you do? Shake with the left. Yeah. So our conscience can be shaped by our upbringing and our culture. Um, it's not an infallible guide. Okay, that's important to know. note. It's not an infallible guide. Our conscience can be compromised. It can be wounded. It can be weak. It can be oversensitive to certain issues. And that's what... That's what uh, Paul is describing when he talks about the weak brother or sister. It's somebody whose conscience is oversensitive to something that maybe they shouldn't be oversensitive about. But the fact that they are, Paul says, give them their space, respect their conviction, and don't impose your convictions on them and create a problem and damage their conscience. Okay, so let, let's go on. Here's, here's what that implies here, and this is from that book. Conscience produces different results for people based on different moral standards. Conscience can change. Conscience functions as a guide and a monitor, a witness and a judge. It accuses us or excuses us. And just because a conscience, as, as uh, Mark Dever says, a conscience can't make a wrong thing right, nor make a, a right thing wrong. Your conscience can't make a wrong thing right, nor make a, a right thing wrong. 
Let, and let's talk a little bit about this weaker brother. John Stott describes the weaker brother as, he's, we must not envision a weaker brother or sister as a vulnerable Christian easily overcome by temptation, but a sensitive Christian full of indecision and scruples. What the weak lack is not the strength of self-control, but the liberty of conscience. There's a number of other great helpful quotes that, that we could look at that, that highlight uh, what that looks like. Like, let me just give an example. So for me, when I, when I first became a Christian, I, I was committed not to drink alcohol, okay? Because I was uh, misusing, before I came to Christ, I was misusing it. Now, the Bible does not prohibit the drinking of alcohol, right? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine, didn't he? Or was it grape juice? If you're Baptist, it's grape juice. No, um, he turned right, and and so, so they actually even told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach, right? So, so alcohol in and of itself is not evil. Now, the Bible does prohibit in Ephesians chapter five; it prohibits getting drunk. Don't get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, right? Debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so for some folks who come out of that lifestyle, out of alcoholism, for them, they may feel tempted just even going into a bar, right? Going into a bar may, may be too strong of a temptation. They just, they have to stay away from that scene because they may be drawn back into that, that lifestyle that they were once in. But God doesn't condemn or prohibit the drinking of wine or beer or alcohol, it does warn against strong drink. So, so if we as Christians who have a conviction that I don't drink alcohol and other Christians, if, if, if we impose that on others and say other Christians should not drink alcohol at all or they're sinning, maybe we don't say that. Maybe, maybe if we just have tones or uh, um, imply in the way we talk about it, you're doing something wrong, then we're not walking in love and we're not doing what Paul is teaching us to do. Here, But yet we need to be able to talk about those convictions. We need to be able to talk about those convictions, like convictions about guns. That's one right now, right? And I've had conversations with a number of brothers about that. Should a Christian have a gun in their home for self-defense? Is that wrong? Right? I'm not going to go into it right now for the sake of getting stoned. No, no. Uh, <laughs> or shot. <laughs> As Christians, we need to focus on what is clear in Scripture. What is clear? Like, and what is clear is that we're to love one another. What is clear is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he taught us how we're to live humbly, how we're to live holy, how we're to live in, in love and patience, in humility. But we need, we need to be able to speak into the issues of politics as well. I mean, I'm grateful for those that throughout history who, like William Wilberforce, right, spoke to an injustice of his day of slavery. And I'm thankful that, that his pastor and uh, John Wesley also encouraged him, that they encouraged him in this calling to engage in this arena, to speak to the powers that be in the political realm to stop this injustice that was taking place. Right, And so that's how, as Christians, we need to be a prophetic voice to speak to the powers that be, to the issues 
that are at hand. And to lovingly walk with brothers and sisters who may see things different than us. And we need to be careful not to be suspicious and, and write other Christians off because they have different views and convictions in some of these secondary issues. Okay, I'm not going to go into a bunch of them. Actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. We can have some conversations afterwards. And here at City Church, we do that. Community groups, around community groups, we do that. Um, I'm willing to have those harder conversations. And if there's a particular issue that, that you're struggling with that you want to talk about um, around some of these most pressing political issues or things in the news, I, I hate that, <clears throat> that so many of us are, are more influenced by the news feed versus God's word and letting this shape our view. Right, I think it's important for us to know what's going on in the world and be able to speak to these issues. But this, this Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is the influence that we need. If we're going to stand in the truth and if we're going to love well through times that are really difficult. We live in a, in a broken, fallen world and the Bible teaches us that things are going to get worse before they get better. It's going to get more violent. It's going to get more difficult. The love of many is going to grow cold, right? And so we need to encourage one another. We need one another. We need to unite together around the faith of the gospel. We need to, we need to cultivate strong, deep biblical convictions and not compromise them. But also we need, need to not demonize other brothers and sisters who see things different on the secondary issues and have good helpful conversations i love I, I i'm i love having good conversations with others who see things different than me who love jesus and being able to have some healthy pushback right and and not become puffed up and proud in the conversation but really seek to build up seek to love and so here let me close in a couple points of application allow the scripture to shape your convictions Okay, I think we should do this in everything. The scripture should be our filter. The, the scripture should shape what we believe. And, and we should ask the question, why do I believe this? Do I believe this because my grandfather believed it? My parents believed it? Or the preacher that I like believes it? Or the politician that I like believes it? Or do I believe this because the scripture teaches it and it's clear? Respect other Christians who have different convictions. All right? Um, the way Paul says it in Romans, he says, uh, to the stronger brothers, receive the weak brother or sister. Welcome one another for the glory of God, just as Christ has welcomed you. This should be our disposition, even when we see things a little bit differently. Avoid letting non-essentials create division. This is what the Corinthians did. They majored on the minors. That's what creates division. When we make, when we make secondary issues, primary issues, and we won't let it go, we won't move on, and we make it our hill to die on, it creates division in the church. And lastly, focus on the core truths that unite us as, as Christians. Amen. I love what, uh, Francis Schaeffer had said about when Christians disagree and they come 
to a point where they disagree about um, certain issues. He calls it the golden opportunity to love. It's the golden opportunity. Isn't it easier to love people who see everything like you do? Who like what you like, enjoy the food that you like, enjoy the sports or the entertainment that you like, the music that you like. It's a lot easier to, to be around people and love people who are like you. But when you get in a diverse church like City Church, and you get and you live in a diverse community like the DFW area, and you go through a 2020 and a 2021 and now a 2022, you get a lot of golden opportunities to love people who are a little bit different and to unite around the person of Jesus Christ. And in heaven, there, there's one of the beautiful aspects of heaven is that every tribe, we sing it, every tribe and tongue will gather around and worship around the throne and worship the King of Kings. Amen? And so we want to see heaven come to earth. We want to, we want to display that. We want to experience that here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I just want to confess that I don't know it all, and I have so much to learn. Would you give me wisdom? Would you give us wisdom from above and teach us to live humbly, lovingly, patiently with one another? Lord, these are hard times in which we live, and you tell us they're going to get harder. And you say to keep meeting together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so may we do that here at City Church. May we build community in love. May we use our gifts May we use our knowledge, our wisdom, our understanding to serve and edify one another for the glory of your name and for the good of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may he lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.